Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Um, it is a good morning to be with you. Pastor Caleb mentioned that as well. It's good to have him back. Um, I'm privileged to share uh, the word with you today. I'm also humbled um, to be a part of the, the teaching team here. Uh, you know this. We are blessed uh, to have men of God um, who serve us in this, in this way. Uh, simply servants, as Pastor Tom reminds us of, uh, just like us, but using their gifts to teach the word to us. So these last two weeks, um, Tom Harmon, he reminded us that the grace that is available to us in our battle against uh, brokenness, um, not only how we draw near to Christ, but then the benefits of doing so. Uh, that was highly encouraging. And then last week, Virgil Tanner shared, uh, listen, uh, if you were not convicted at some point during that message, uh, during, while, while Virgil gave us the word of God, uh, you weren't listening. You were not listening. Uh, Virgil has this, he has this God-given ability to like turn the flashlight on to a dark place in my heart that I didn't know existed. And until the light goes on, I don't know that there's a problem in there. And he does that really well through the Word of God. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for him uh, through that as well. I'm grateful for both those men. I'm grateful Center their teaching, Pastor Dan's teaching. It'll be good to have him back next week. I told you last week that he would be here this week, didn't I? I said that, and I was wrong. He's still, he's not back yet, but he will be here on, uh, on Tuesday. Again, he's been um, doing some denominational work um, with some uh, regional pastors and some, some national pastors, a part of our tribe, part of the missionary church, um, doing vice presidency things, and so he'll be back on, uh, on Tuesday. So today we are in James 4. We're going to continue in this series, um, verses 13 and 17. So 13 through 17, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there uh, now. Um, one more thing that just stuck out to me this morning. Every once in a while, you know, we sing a song. We have some really good songs of worship today. Uh, I think we typically do. But to know what it is that some of you have been through through the week, and then to watch your response in worship and still put your hands up, that spoke to my heart this morning. So that was good. I appreciate that. And that other song, gra uh, Gratitude, uh, just lifting up a hallelujah sometimes is all that we can do. All that, that a king deserves from, from us is that that's all we can turn back to him. I kind of had a moment like that this, this week. Um, we were on our way back from Life Group on Sunday, last Sunday. We were driving home, and it was already dark out at this point. And so Emma, our eight-year-old, she looks out the window, and she sees the Big Dipper. And so she like, calls it out. She's like, I see the Big Dipper. So we're kind of like trying to... Try not to get in a car accident while I'm like looking out. Uh, we get home, and so I get out of the van, and a couple of the girls were standing in the driveway, and so we start looking up, and it was a pretty clear night, and so like the stars were popping, and it was just it was kind of beautiful, and so we started talking about how, how big actually the stars were, even though they looked really small, and I mentioned the fact that the stars that we're seeing, really mo most of them, if not all of them, were like, or at least the size of are bigger than our sun, and uh, Emma was confused by this, and so what I tried to do was then talk about perspective. So we started to talk about that idea of perspective, like even though something is really far away, how big is something depending on the size as it relates to something else? If you're holding a tennis ball in front of your face, 
it looks bigger than the playground ball that's 50 feet away in the yard, right? Because it's, it's much closer. And so that conversation really led to um, really the idea of space and how far wide it is and how far it goes. Um, that conversation led to galaxies beyond our own. And this is starting to like really strain her brain to like try to comprehend all of this, right? How far out it goes to the point where she asked like, you mean Star Wars could have actually happened? in another galaxy far away. And I was like, yeah, obviously. Uh, so as we started talking through that idea that really the, the breadth of space, she honestly started feeling a bit like insecure because she started to recognize like how small she actually was. It's kind of a terrifying place to be. And this really culminated. So I found this video on YouTube and you can do this. You can find these videos where it like slowly starts and then quickly starts to like zoom out from earth and go farther and farther back. So I found one of these and I'm like kind of snuggled up next to her, kind of standing next to her. I'm showing her this video and it starts on this girl's face and just like slowly zooms out past San Francisco and California. And then you see America and then the earth and then it goes farther and farther back and farther and farther and faster and faster. And we're passing planets and our sun and our solar system and then out past our galaxy. It's just going faster and faster. And this was very, very cool as we go beyond our galaxy into the deep and wide of space because um, it's very realistic, even on a little screen, right? And it was cool until I came to a point in the video where I had what I believe that Pastor Tom describes as a holy worship moment. So here I am trying to help Emma understand perspective, and I'm showing her how wide and deep space is, and we're flying out past meteor belts and star clusters, and we passed one too many galaxies, and my I can comprehend this meter broke. And I, I don't know how else to describe this, but I got spiritually lightheaded. Can I say that? Just looking at a YouTube video, I got spiritually lightheaded. I, I almost hit my knees, and I just, it just, God just like took my breath away. And he I feel like re-revealed to me in that moment just the truth of who he is. The sheer immensity of, of a being that could bring such creation and, and purpose into existence. It, perspective. It gave me perspective. Have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever had a moment like that where you're, you're looking out at the ocean or... Uh, maybe you're, you're listening to a worship song in a car or uh, you're taken in a fresh sunset and God in his grace like peels back the curtain just a little bit and you just for a moment, your perspective on who you are in comparison to all that he has set into motion just gets adjusted, right? And it's just all of a sudden you just, there's more going on than what my blinders are showing me here on the earth. There's more than what's going on. It's what's right in front of me. He just kind of readjusts me for a second. That's a bit of what James is, is calling us to in this passage that we're going to look at today. It's a perspective adjustment. And what he's doing really is he's calling us to adjust to the reality of God. That's what this is, the reality of God. We need to adjust to the truth that there's something much bigger going on outside of ourselves. And even this, even the physical universe that we're talking about is just a shadow of the greater purpose in the story that God is writing throughout, throughout time. We're adjusting to the reality of God, understanding that he is at work and the call is for us to bring ourselves into alignment with that work and his will, the Lord's will. 
it's so easy for us. It's so easy for me to get just busy moving through life. And we need moments where we are like snapped back into the reality of how small we are in comparison to all that's going on. I need that. And so this is, this is what James is after today. So let's read our passage and we'll see what we can, we can find out today. James chapter 4, 13 uh, through 17. I thought I had flipped open to that already, but I didn't. Here we are. James 4, 13 through 17. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It is sin for them. One of the, uh, one of the really helpful things um, from Virgil's message last week, for me at least, was giving us, I think, a clear picture of what James is attempting to do for his listeners, for his readers, right? Um, so he's writing to Jewish Christians and he's helping them navigate uh, their newfound faith. And so what Virgil so clearly demonstrated last week was that James takes Old Testament wisdom literature and he grabs, you see, you remember this? This is what he did. He was standing right here. I love, this was so helpful for me. He grabs Old Testament literature and he pulls it through a teaching of Jesus. And then he says, this is what it's like now to live as a Christ follower. Now that he has come, now that the Messiah has come, this is what it looks like now. That was very helpful for me. This week, it's no different. He does the exact same thing in this passage. Okay, so James reaches back into some Proverbs and Psalms, and he grabs some wisdom, and then he garnishes it with, with truth, some teachings of Jesus. That's what, he, that's what he does. He says, this is then how you ought to live. Okay, so keeping what we just read in mind with James, let's look at Proverbs 27.1. This is where we're going to start. We're going to look at some of this Old Testament wisdom literature. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Obvious overlap from, to our James passage. It's pretty straightforward. What happens tomorrow or in the future is unknown. Um, so, so overconfidence in what's coming is unwise. Okay? That's what he's saying. Easy enough to get on board with that theory, right? We can understand that. Let's look at another. Psalm 102. This is verse 3 and then verses 11 and 12. For my days vanish like smoke, my bones burn like glowing embers. Sound familiar? My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, and here's the contrast, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. So there's no doubt that James has this literature from Israel's past in his mind as he's writing to his audience. And he puts these things together and he starts building a case for readjustment, right? There's a perspective that he wants you to have that then requires an adjustment. Why do they need readjustment? Well, many of these Jews, these scattered Jews abroad, would have settled in Roman cities and towns. They would have become merchants and traders and they would easily have been caught up in the same thing that you and I get caught up in, in the philosophy of being successful, overly focused on getting ahead, okay? A.K.A. worldliness. That's what it is. 
So we're not just, we're not just talking about an overconfident pride in our plans, but the fact that, that future plans are the first to dominate our thinking. Okay, you get that? So it's, it's not just an overconfidence in our plans, it's the fact that our future plans are first to dominate our thinking. And so we see James as he, he makes this attempt to readjust his readers, and he begins by painting a perspective for them, this perspective of the unknown tomorrow, that something else is going on. So this unknown tomorrow and man's fleeting plans in contrast to God, who is forever, whose prominence and activity move throughout all of time, just as he intends it to, okay? It says it, this is, it says this, this is what he's saying, okay? Not only do the days in which you live vary dramatically, you are simply a blip on the radar screen of eternity, and your desires have no effect on the ordering of those days, so stop getting so caught up in it. That's what he's saying, Okay, that's the perspective he's bringing their attention to. Now, up to that point, through verse 15, James has really been, I think, revealing like a thoughtlessness, right? So the problem wasn't, and you need to know this, the problem wasn't they're planning for the future. That's not a problem. You can plan for the future. The problem was they were failing to consider God in their plans. So it's kind of a thoughtlessness, right? He's, he's, he's talking through that. But look at verse 16, it becomes like this heavy-handed turn in the passage. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Evil. Okay, so we've quickly moved from thoughtlessness to evil, to wickedness. What he's calling out, what he's calling evil is the attitude that is revealed through boasting in future plans that have zero God contingencies factored in. That's what he's calling out. He calls that, he calls that evil. So to plan without consideration of God is to arrogantly claim to be in full control of what is happening, of the future. Okay, it is self-sufficiency and it comes from the root of our sinful nature, which is pride. So he calls that evil. Not just lacking good, but like wicked, evil, okay? So he takes that turn, and then the culmination of that passage in verse 17 is where we see a call to action. This is the readjustment then that we talked about earlier. He paints his perspective, and he says, here's the readjustment. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It is sin for them. Essentially, now that I've told you, that's the therefore, now that I've told you, or now that this issue has been revealed to you, you have no excuse. You can't get away with it anymore. You may have not been super aware, but I've laid it out there now. So now that you know, you got to go in a different direction. Knowing what ought to be done obligates a person to do it. Okay? Knowing what ought to be done obligates a person to it. Now, I mentioned earlier that James is taking Old Testament wisdom, right? We looked at some of those things. And he's, he pulls it through, or he dips it in principles of Jesus' teaching, okay? And so there's two passages that I'd like to point out to you on this, on this side of things. The first one is Matthew 6. The second one is going to be Luke 12. First one, Matthew 6, we'll touch on it briefly, and then we'll come, we'll come back to it a little bit later. But in Matthew 6, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Okay, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about storing up uh, treasures in heaven and not being consumed by stuff and all the things that are happening here. And he's kind of flipping kingdom philosophy upside down or worldly kingdom philosophy upside down into, into godly kingdom. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. And in Matthew 6.34, you've probably heard this before, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Again, sound familiar? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Are you catching the common theme here? Okay, don't be caught up by the allure of what may or may not happen. How things are going to lay out. That's the common theme here. Old Testament, Jesus refreshes that for us. And so now let's jump to Luke 12. That's Matthew 6. Luke 12 now, I'll give you some context here. Jesus is, is preaching to the crowds and his disciples at this point. And he tells them a parable about, uh, about a rich man. And he's, what he's doing is he's warning them, again, same idea, he's warning them against getting sucked into the worldly idea that satisfaction comes from successful acquiring. Okay, I made that up. Isn't that cool? Successful acquiring. Okay, I'm going to acquire everything successfully. All the things that I can have, or, or at least put into order in my life. Successful acquiring. There's something bigger than that, Jesus says. There's something bigger going on. Don't be overly concerned with this temporal life. The possessions you may or may not have. What people might think of you, or even do to you because of me. Instead, as servants, as those who have identified with Christ, be about the master's business. And this is how Jesus says it in Luke 12, 47. The servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Sound familiar? If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. And sin requires judgment or brings judgment. Here's what's going on. James says, this is this passage, okay? You've been so caught up in the race to continually and successfully acquire and order your life according to the standards that you think are best, that in doing that, you have forgotten that nothing happens without God allowing it to happen in the first place. He's the one who sets all things in motion that you know nothing about. He has a purpose that in his sovereignty he will move forward. And on top of that, you are so confident in your abilities to live your life that you boast in a way that really sets you in opposition of God. You got to stop that. And so now that you know, readjust. Readjust. Do what is right. Because here's the reality. There's a real timeline that we're in here, church. There's a real timeline that we're in here. God is at work, and he's coming back. He's at work, and he's coming back. So be about his business. Anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. That's what this passage says, okay? It's, it's a readjustment. It, it starts here in our heads, and then it moves to our hearts, has to move into our hearts first, the perspective switch, then the adjustment moves into our hearts, and then it has to go out through our hands. Okay, so the readjustment, let's talk about that. What, what does that look like? If that's the perspective, if that's the passage, if that's the teaching, if that's the perspective, what does the readjustment look like for us? Doing the good we ought to do. 
Okay, what is the good we ought to do? Well, look at verse 15. What does it say? What is the good you ought to do? You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple, though not easy. Can I get an amen on the not easy part? Okay, pretty simple, but not easy. Um, You ought to be doing the Lord's will, being about his business rather than your own. So I want us to think about maybe a few camps as we're kind of trying to put this into some, how do we do this? Think about a few camps maybe that people find themselves in when it comes to uh, the Lord's will. The first camp would be uh, no consideration. No consideration for the Lord's will. This is the one we kind of talked about already, right? So this is complete disregard for God's will in conjunction with my plans. I don't even think about it, okay? The second camp that people can find themselves in is too much consideration. Now, don't throw anything at me. You can't consider God's will too much. But here's what I mean by that, okay? I can't move forward. I can't move forward because I need to fully know everything about God's will for my life before I can take a step. You know, some of you know, like, I, yep, this is crippling for some people. I've had moments where this is very, very difficult. I feel like I have to know what it is that's out there. What, God, what is it that you are having for me so that I can know confidently that I can take a step? Especially in transition points in life from, from college, from high school to college, from college to career or family life or to retirement. What, what does God have for me? And they feel stuck. You feel stuck because you need to know the plan before making a decision. Many of us, though, I really think fall into a third camp. I probably, most of us probably fall somewhere in between. And I'm going to call this camp Faith It Till You Make It. Can I call it that? Faith It Till You Make It. This is where you are, you are moving forward in life. You are not knowing how it's all going to lay out. You're trusting that God is in control but you could probably use a bit of help in knowing the will of God for your life, okay? Let me affirm, let me affirm this in you, okay? Let me affirm that, that this, I think, is the right place to be. There is a tension here that we have to live this out with, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, okay? Now, this is what I think it can look like. You can look back, wherever you are right now, if you're in this camp, you can look back and you can see how God has woven some stuff together, right? Both your sin and his sovereignty, he's kind of woven some stuff, put it together. However, you also realize that there is room for you to slow down and better consider what God might be calling you to. That's the faith it till you make it camp. Okay? I think that's where most of us probably are. Regardless of what camp you're in, no consideration, too much consideration, or the faith until you make it, the solution is the same. To know and do God's will. To know and do God's will. That's what it says in verse 15. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Okay? So the rest of our time together, um, I want to consider that, that million-dollar question that we are all asking or have all asked at some point. What is God's will for my life? Right? Raise your hand if you've ever asked that question or are asking that question. What is God's will for my life? Okay. If I need to readjust, James, then what is God's will for my life? If I'm to be doing the Lord's will, can I propose to you that this question, although it's a good one, it needs modifying a little bit. It's one of those close but not quite questions, which is why we get hung up all the time. Uh, May I suggest 
that the best thing we can do when it comes to trying to figure this out is this. Drop the last three words. This is a slight shift in perspective, but it's a huge shift in perspective. It helps bring the focus where it's supposed to be, God's will and not my life, okay? It's not like, what is God's will for my life is a bad question, okay? I'm overstating the case here, but you understand what I'm, what I'm doing with it. What is God's will? If I focus on God's will, my life will figure itself out. I could probably say that better. God will figure out your life. <laughs> my life won't figure itself out. I, if I follow God's will, if I, if I focus on God's will, God will write the rest, okay? It seems, this seems like an oversimplification, doesn't it? Like, it's, but it's not. It's really not. When people ask that question, what is God's will for my life? What they're after is the life part, really, right? They're after the life part, the tomorrow and beyond. That's what they're after. And it's exactly what James is saying to stop focusing on because you aren't in control. It's an illusion. You are on the wrong side of the perspective because of where it's just, it is human nature because of what we see right in front of us. We are on the wrong side of that perspective. That star may look small, but in reality, it's a thousand times bigger than the sun that is so close to us. Everything in our life, about our life, is right in front of our face. And so it seems like that is the driving priority and, and the movement there. But in reality, there is a God who set the universe in motion. And he is in control. He is really in control. We're not. And so stop worrying about tomorrow. What may be in the works or what's coming down the pipe. Instead, focus on God's will today. That's the key word, I think. Today. Focus on God's will today. Now, I told you uh, that we'd come back to Matthew chapter 6. Okay? Jesus is teaching, right, that James is flavoring his exhortation with. You remember verse 34 that we read, do not worry about tomorrow. There's that overlap with our passage. The verse just before it, you know, just like James, it shows us, I think rather clarifies for us the good we ought to do. Here's what it says, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things, all of these things, meaning the tomorrow where you will be, what you will have, what you will do, all that stuff, the, these things, all of these things will be given to you as well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, meaning do the Lord's will. He will take care of the rest. So how can we accomplish this? I feel like every, every step, I'm like, I'm, there's building blocks here. It's like, well, how do we do that? Okay, well, what does that look like? Okay, well, what's the next part of that? I feel like that's kind of where we're at, but that's just how this passage lays out. How do we accomplish this then? If we're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, if we're to be about the Lord's will, how do we do that? How do we work out the Lord's will in our life? Two handles that I think we can grab onto here. And these are all throughout Scripture. This is a pattern all throughout the Word. But I really, I see these just a, a few verses prior to this as well. And it was a part of Tom's message just a couple weeks ago. So a couple of verses that he focused on were in James 4, 8 and 10. Can you pop up in the passage just to look at that? Or it's right here, I guess. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Know him. That's what it says. Know, come, to, come to the Lord. Know him. Okay. 
wash your hands. And the next part, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now we're talking about obedience. Okay? Come to me, know me, and now obey me. And look at the result of doing those, doing those things, which is humbling yourself is what he says. By drawing near and doing what he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and then he will lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lay it out. He'll direct the path. He'll reveal your life. The thing that we're after all the time. You want, God, you want to work out God's will in your life? Then your responsibility is to know him and do what he says. That's it. I, that's, that, is who, that, is what, that is who God created us to be. That is who God created Adam and Eve to be. In all the perfection in the garden that he said everything, they were to exist, to glorify God, to know him in relationship, to glorify him and just simply exist in his presence and do what he says. That's all. That's what they were meant to do. That purpose has not changed to you and I. Know him and do what he says. Is, it, is that too simple? <laughs> I mean, know him and do what he says. The rest is going to fall into order after that. Those are our handles. Know him and do what he says. It's clutch and throttle, okay? That's what it is. Knowing is about relationship and doing is about, is about obedience. Knowing is about relationship Doing is about obedience. These things work together, okay? Clutch and throttle. These things work together. Former enables the latter. You can't jump to doing without pursuing a relationship with God because that's how you'll know what to do in the first place. That's where it comes from. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, just yesterday, um, I, was, well, I was working on my, my truck this week. Not the red one, but the other red one. And uh, the 73, okay, John Henry. I'm not sure why we named him that, but we did. The girls named him John Henry. Uh, John Henry is old. He's 51 years old, and so he's got a carburetor, all right? And so that means um, that it has, it, we need a, I need a choke. There's a choke valve on it. So especially in the winter when it's cold and the engine is cold, you need to be able to meter the fuel in the air. Okay, you don't care. All right, so anyways... There's a choke, and I had a mechanical choke on, on this truck, but it was being finicky, it was cheap, and so I took it off, and I installed an electric choke this week. Fancy. Um, so I installed an electric choke, and then yesterday morning, I went out to make sure it was going to work the way that it should. It was early, it was cold. And so I go out, and I pop the hood, because on these old trucks, there's like an eight-inch gap when you pull the hood up, so you can kind of see into the engine bay when you're standing outside you know, when you're, when you're standing next to the truck. And so I pop the hood, I go back to the driver's side, I stick my hand in to turn the key, and I'm looking because I want to see, make sure the choke valve is working. So I reach my hand in, standing outside the cab. Before I do that, I reach in, I hit the throttle once, okay? Hit the gas pedal, and I just turn the key, fire it right up. Did I mention that this truck is a manual? Some of you understand that. Okay, so it was in gear, is what I'm saying. Okay, so it's a four-speed on the floor. This truck's cool, okay? It's a four-speed on the floor. It's a granny gear. And this gear is geared so low. And I had the idle screw turned up high because I was working on the choke thing the day before. So the fast idle cam is up. That as soon as I turned the key, that truck just, whoop, shot forward, okay? And, I, and it ran into the trailer that I had in front of it. And I about broke my arm off trying to break the key off into the other direction. That's what happened yesterday morning, Okay. Glad I'm here. It's good. <laughs> now, if I would have pushed the clutch in first, 
either to take it out of first, which I always do. I always reach in and like jiggle it for, you know, that trick. Okay, you got to jiggle it. For, I always do that. I didn't do that yesterday. But if I would have pushed the clutch in to take it out or just hold the clutch in, that wouldn't have happened. Okay? It could have been a lot worse than it was, too. It could have damaged the truck. It was fine. Or someone else that was standing close by. It could have been a lot worse than it was. But this is what can happen when we try to work out God's will for our lives and we skip the relationship part. We don't put the clutch in. Okay? The clutch helps engage the doing of the gears. Okay? We have to push the clutch in and engage the relationship. If we don't do that, we end up false starting, we run into something, we put the cart before the horse, literally, we lack the power and the presence to do what needs to be done because we forget that it's God that makes it happen in the first place. You can't do someone's will if you don't know the person whose will it is. You can't do God's will if you don't know God. Take that one to the bank. You can't do God's will if you don't know God. We must know him. It has to start here. It seems cliche to stand up in front of a bunch of believers and remind you of this. I have to be reminded of this every day. It starts with relationship first, being in the word, contemplative prayer, worship, growing in your understanding of his character and his ways. And what you'll find, you're going to have to trust me on this, test it. What you'll find is that as you do that, as you spend time with Jesus praying and learning and understanding who he is, his love will compel you towards obedience. You will see the good that you ought to do. The Holy Spirit will open your eyes to the opportunities you have to do what he says and to obey his word. Obeying can look like a lot of things. It could mean to like stop doing something that you're doing. It could mean to start doing something that you're not doing, to maybe remember something or to give something uh, or maybe to, to just wait and be patient. It could look like all sorts of things. But obedience is revealed to you, your opportunities to reveal as you begin to know the heart of the master. Here's the thing then, through that obedience you are then guided in and towards whatever God sees fit for your life. That thing that you and I want to know, where are we going? Where am I headed? What's out there? God says, just walk with me and I'll get you there. Walk with me through the hallway and I'll say, go turn through this door. He doesn't always stand back and just go, okay, now run to that one over there. Like, we have to walk, walk with me. Now turn left, now turn right. Now go straight for a little bit. He'll reveal opportunities to obey as you walk with him in relationship. Your life plan is realized through your obedience to Christ. Just is. That's how it works. Your life plan is realized through your obedience to Christ. John 15, 5. This is familiar to you, perhaps, but this is, this is what Jesus is talking about here. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. There's your life. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't try to run out and produce fruit and not come to the source. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Some branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and they are burned. Again, those who know the good they ought to do, right? Those who don't, it is sin for them. There are consequences for that. This is abiding in Christ. 
when you know him and obey him, that is the center of God's will. That's just, it's, I feel like I'm, it's the same thing I'm saying over and over again. If you want to know the plan for your life, then start in relationship with Jesus. Be close to him, and he will work that out for you as you walk in relationship with him. That's just how it works. Simple, not easy, I understand, because we like to know the plan. We like to know the plan, right? I was thinking about this. Why is it so hard for us to just be with God and allow him to take us where we need to go? Why is it so hard for us? I mean, we believe, we believe what he says in John 10, right? I think Bradley mentioned this in his prayer this morning. Jesus said that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, abundant life. We believe that, yeah? I believe that that's true, but sometimes we don't feel like it's so abundant. I'm not feeling the abundance piece here. So what's the holdup? Why are we not feeling abundant? Well, it's not him. Have you thought about that? <laughs> I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't feel like my life is to the full. I'm not feeling this. It's like, well, it's not him. He's perfect. He's not in the way. I'm in the way. So what do I need to do differently? It's probably because I'm out trying to chase the abundant life instead of chasing the one who can give me abundant life. I think there are several reasons, and I'll go through this quickly with you, why this is difficult for us. One, I think, is ignorance. Ignorance. I don't know that I need God, okay? Some people don't know that they need Jesus, and they are out there floundering, and they are waiting for you to tell them. Tell them about a Savior that has a plan for their life, okay? Ignorance. Uh, Self-sufficiency. I can do it, God. I can do it, God. We're still trying to work out that work salvation. I can do it. You made me smart and capable. I'll figure it out. Self-sufficiency. What about fear? I'm uncomfortable, God. I'm uncomfortable with what's happening or where we're going. I'm uncomfortable. I perhaps doubt that you have my best interest at heart because this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Fear. How about impatience? Impatience. I'll help, God. <laughs> I'll help, God. Oh, all the stories of people uh, in Scripture who tried to help God out by like advancing his plans uh, for him, right? Rather than just waiting it out and being content to be in relationship uh, knowing him, right? Um, think, I mean, Abraham, the OG of our faith, come on. He thought God was taking a little too long to bring about a son, the promised son that would give way to like numerous descendants and to the hope of the world would come. God gave him that promise and he was even credited, credited to him as righteousness because he believed that promise. But then he got a little impatient. And so he tried to help by getting his wife's servant pregnant. What? Impatience. I'll help God. How about control? I know better, God. I know better. I'm so big. I created the universe. <laughs> Sorry. I, I think we should do it this way, God. It seems like it might work out a little bit better in my favor. A bit more. Control, right? Lastly, uh, pride. I don't need you, God. I don't need you, God. All of the former come from this one. All of the former come, come from this one. It's the root of our sinful nature. It's about moi. Okay? These are the things, I think, that get in the way of us just being with God. 
and walking with him and allowing him to write our, our story day by day. Okay? Just being with God, allowing him to take us right where we need to go. This is like, this is like me in Lowe's. Okay? This is me in Lowe's. I'll get it. I'll find what I need. I know exactly approximately in the store where I need to go. How much time have I wasted searching out the thing that I needed before I swallowed my pride and asked someone else who knew the place where it was? I have wasted much time. Sometimes I was, have you found yourself, I was standing right in front of it. I was standing right in front of the place where it was. It's right in front of my nose, but I'm blind to it because I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. And so when I finally break down and I go back to the source and he walks me right over to where I was just standing and says, here it is. Okay. Cool. This is back to the source. This is what Jesus can do for you. He is your source. He is the source. He will get you there way quicker than getting there, trying to get there yourself. Trying to get there yourself. The order of your life, you, you got to give that stuff up. You got to give that stuff up, okay? Here's where I want to finish uh, this morning. I want to read a story from Genesis that I read just a few weeks ago that I really think illustrates uh, what we're after here, okay? It's the opposite of the list that we just looked at. In Genesis 24, I mentioned Abraham earlier, right? Abraham you know, God works all that stuff out, and he actually gives him the son, Isaac. And so now Abraham is getting old, and his son, Isaac, is to the, to the age of, of marrying. He's the marrying age, okay? And so Abraham calls in his senior servant, and he tasks him with finding a wife for Isaac. It was a little different back then. In some cultures, they still do this. So he warns him, Abraham warns the servant, he says, don't go back to Canaan, don't go to Canaan to find a wife. Go back to my home country. And a servant asks, well, what if she's unwilling, whoever this woman is, we don't know who it is yet, what if she's unwilling to come back with me? And Abraham says, don't worry. God will take care of it. But if she is unwilling, you're released from this task. That's what he says, essentially. Okay? That's my version. So the servant heads out. He takes the oath from Abraham. He goes, I'm going to go do this. He heads out. And let's, I want to pick up the story in verse 12. And I'm just going to read this to you because it's, it's a few verses here. So verse 12, Then he prayed, meeting the servant. He said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. Okay, so he brings God into this. He's considering God in the plans first. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her, listen to how he says this, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now at first it might seem like he's trying to back God into a corner there, but I don't think so. And we'll see why at the end of this passage. So he brings God into the plans, the best of his ability and he says, God, be a part of it. Be it as you have said, okay? And before he had finished, verse 15, before he had finished praying, he just lays out the scenario. Before he'd even finished praying, Rebekah comes out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. Now the woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Okay. 
I'm just picturing how this happens. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. Watch. After she had given him a drink, she said, you know what? I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all of his camels. Key verse here, watch this. So basically, just he lays it out in prayer. Before he finishes prayer, God just goes, yep, and it happens, okay? Key verse 21, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Wait, what? Are you kidding me? As soon as she came out and did exactly what, she had, what he had prayed, I would have popped my camel's kickstand and said, let's go. <laughs> Isaac is awaiting. But that's not what he did. He waited and he paused. He gave room for God to reveal that what he, the servant, may have rightly anticipated happening wasn't actually what God was going to use to procure Isaac's wife. He gave room for that. So not only did he invite God in at this setting up prayer, after it then happens, he still waits and gives room because he just might have been really good at guessing. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So what does he do after this? I'll just tell you how it happens. He asks her questions. He then goes and visits her family. He asks them questions. He had them seek God's will. And when all of that came together, her parents said, this is from the Lord. It's kind of where, this is from the Lord. We believe this. Let's go this direction. And this is what it says in verse 2. This is what he said. This is what he did. When Abraham's servant heard what they had said, that this is from the Lord, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. He responded in worship. That's what he did. He responded in worship. Know God, obey Him, and worship Him. As that lays out and plays out and He orders your life, our only response is worship. I'm going to invite the team to come, or it's a good thing for us to do as well today. As they're coming, uh, James 4.15, we read this earlier. Instead, this is where we're at, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Abraham's servant, he got it. He understood this. He knew the heart of God. You could tell that by how he talked to the Lord and what he asked for. He knew the heart of God. He invited God to direct what would come. And then he followed God's lead. And then when all of that came together, he recognized his place and he worshiped God. That's what he did. This is, this is what James is calling us to. This is what this passage is. Making plans is not the issue. Rather, he's reminding us that as we live, there is a proper perspective to have. We must know, church, there is much more going on, more than we can ever imagine. God is at work expanding his kingdom. He has called us, unbelievably so, to be a part of that work. And the best way that we can live that out is to run our plans through the filter of our relationship with Him. Of our relationship with Him and all that He wants to do. That's what we're called to this morning. Will you stand and let's pray? Lord, we thank You for Your Word uh, this morning. Um, 
such practical wisdom um, that we all need to hear, I need to hear, uh, but Lord, it's hard, to, it's hard to carry out because it requires surrender. It requires us to remove ourselves from really the seat that we talked about last week, from God's seat. I am not in control. What you say will happen. Your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. So Lord, we need your help with that. It's in you alone, Jesus. It's in you alone that, that we need to put our hope, we put our trust as we live our life. So Lord, help us. And as we respond in worship now, move us to a place of submission, of surrender, knowing that it is you who guides us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 24-7.